You know, we live in a world that is shrouded in darkness. We go through things in life that are just awful, difficult, hard. Things go wrong. Evil seems to be on every side when we look around, doesn't it? And for those of us who follow the Lord, sometimes we may feel like we're on an island in the middle of a raging river that's rising rapidly and we have nowhere to go. I feel that way some days. Times we may feel abandoned. We may feel alone. You know, that's not a new phenomenon for the followers of God. You think, I'm the first one to go through this. Far from it. You're probably the millionth to go through it this year. But down through the centuries, many who follow God find themselves still walking in darkness because the world is dark. I think we forget sometimes the evilness and the wickedness of the hearts of people. And then all of a sudden it comes crashing in with a news story about someone who did something to somebody else. And we go, how in the world can that happen? And really the answer ought to be, how in the world does it not happen more often? What I want to do over the next four weeks is explore um, the truth from God's Word that we're not alone, that we haven't been forsaken, and that we hold within us, as a follower of Christ, the light of the world. We hold within us the truth of God's love for us and for those around us. And so I've entitled this little short message series, just four weeks, Light in the Dark. And I want to talk with you this morning about, uh, and we're going to talk about different passages to cut, one from New Testament, three from the Old Testament. We're going to talk about those times when darkness just seems to overwhelm us. It may be in the loss of a spouse, the loss of a parent, the loss of a child, uh, the loss of a job, a bankruptcy, loss of friends. There's all kinds of things that can bring us into those moments of darkness where we really struggle with what we go through. And I want to go this morning to Second uh, Corinthians uh, and, and, and look at a passage where God lays out how we, where he tells us that he has a plan for those times. We think, surely when the things get hard, when things get dark, when things are trials, God doesn't know where I'm at, right? He not only knows where you are, he knows exactly what he wants to do with that time, if we'll let him lead us through those. We come to a church, the church at Corinth is, is in many ways, uh, one scholar called it the, the church at California, and I thought that was kind of tacky to blame it all on California, because these could also call this the church in Texas, uh, because the things that they dealt with in Corinth, they deal with in California, we deal with in Texas, they dealt with things like uh, wickedness, lewd experiences around us, awful sacrifices, materialism running rampant, all kinds of idolatry in the culture. We say, oh yeah, that's California. It's also Texas. It's also New Boston. In some ways, ancient Corinth looked a lot like us. And into this setting, Paul writes words of encouragement as they face the ugliness of their world, saying, look, I have something better for you than what you're in and what you're doing and the way you're living. See, they, like we, need to realize that God is still at work even when it's dark. And he's got something for us. In fact, God often brings the greatest light out of the darkest dark. 
But God uses it for His purpose. And I want to talk to you about, first of all, five purposes that God uses darkness to do. The first one is right here in verse 7 where He says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So that passage showed up about a month or two ago in our ser- one of our sermons as kind of an application. I, but it, here I want us to dig into it a little bit deeper because he's talking about something that we need to grasp and understand. He, he, he's talking about where God uses darkness to do this, to announce his glory. He says, I want to bring my glory through the darkness, darkness of the world. And what he does, Paul does, he reminds the people at Corinth, hey, you're a clay jar. You know, I don't know if you've ever been called a clay jar or not. I've been called other things, but never a clay jar. But what he's talking about is something that is temporary, something that has a purpose for a while that can be used for a season, but eventually it's going to become used up. We are all clay jars. What do you mean? We have a shelf life. We have a season. We have a time to be used. It's called when? Now. God wants to take our clay pot and do something through our lives that's greater and better and bigger than we could ever begin to do on our own if we'll let him. And the first thing he wants to do is to announce his glory. So think about this. What Paul does is he wants to shatter their image of themselves. You're going, he wants to tear them down? No, he wants them to understand who they are. I liken this in our culture to a Ziploc bag. I think I used this illustration a few months ago. He, you're going, what? In the ancient world, they didn't have Ziploc bags. They hadn't developed plastic products yet. So they, they would make clay pots and they would put their, their household items and their items that they want to keep safe and dry in those pots. And eventually what would happen to those pots? They would use them again and again and again. And eventually they'd get chips, they'd get cracks, and eventually they would break and they would just throw them out back from the house. That's why archaeologists go to a a dig now and they go digging through those places and they're looking for all the pieces of pottery, not because they want to see the pots, but because they want to see what they use them for and how they use them to understand who they are. So we're like that. We're like a pot that gets used for a while. He's he's, he's saying you are a pot. You're going to be used for a while, but then you're going to be discarded. So it's not about the pot. It's about the what? The contents. See, we live in a dark world, but we can be containers in this dark world of something so much greater and better and bigger and more powerful than us. We can be containers holding the presence of God in darkness. We live in a dark world, but we're called to be containers of God in this world. In a real sense, the God of all creation comes into your life when you trust him as Savior, and he brings something into your life that you did not have before. His presence that's able to then announce His glory to the world in which you live. In, in a real sense, He comes and inhabits our clay pot. and says, I'm the one that brings about goodness. I'm the one that brings the, the light to the darkness. I'm the one that changes the people around you by the way you live, by the way you, you carry yourself. And through this process, God announces his glory. Second, God also uses darkness to do this, to aid our focus, to help us focus on things that are right. Look at verse 8 and 9. We are, have you ever prayed this prayer? This verse is a prayer. We are afflicted in every way. We're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down. 
Wait, wait, Patrick, you left a whole bunch of that scripture verse out. That's right. Because what he does here is he puts together four couplets to help us understand what it's all about, to help us focus on what is more important. And he uses these four words to illustrate the ugliness of the world we live in, but the reality that as followers of God, there's more to it than the ugly. Aren't you glad? Look at it. We are afflicted in every way. You ever feel afflicted? I feel afflicted sometimes. Sometimes I'm actually literally afflicted and sick with a hundred and something degree temperature and a nose that won't quit running and aches that won't go away. You ever have that afflictions? I have those. Some, some people today are dealing with that affliction. Maybe you. It's this idea of pressure. Every follower of God faces seasons of affliction. When things just don't seem to go the right way, things are not going well, it's going to be difficult. These times should not cause us to be broken, but to turn our focus. Look at the rest of the first part of the couplet. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not what? We're not crushed. Amen? He doesn't, he doesn't let us become crushed. It doesn't mean he doesn't let us go through struggles, but those things come. For us to, for things become difficult, we're reminded that we have to go, okay, it's not about me. I'm going to turn to him. Second, we get perplexed. Uh, The the, the root word in the Greek here is the idea of, of confusion. You ever get confused? The older I get, the more often this happens. I'll get, y'all ever walk into a room? No, y'all don't have this happen. You walk into the room, I'm going to go do, and you get to the room and you go, I know I came in here for something. Am I the only one? Okay. And you walk back out and you go, oh, yeah. And you turn around and go back in and you remember that time, hopefully. But the idea here is not confusion. It's bigger than that. It's not a lack of understanding. It's actually the idea of being perplexed is not having what you need to do what you need to do, not having enough resources. Followers of Jesus at at times come to the place where we go, I don't think I can do this. And and we we look at it and we go, oh, what am I going to do? I can't do this. I'm a failure. I'm a mess. I'm a this. I'm I'm here to tell you that God uses those dark moments to help us see the big picture, that we're not perplexed, but we're what? Not driven to despair. The the thought I want you to see here is this. He is saying to you and to me is that we don't have to come to despair. We have to remember we're a what? The clay pot imagery drives this whole section, so don't forget the clay pot. We are clay pots. So we're holding within us something way more valuable, way more important than us. So when we get to the point where we're perplexed and I go, I don't have the resources, I can't do this, I don't know what I'm going to do, we go, oh, but I know the one who can. You with me? It's God who can then work in our lives to accomplish the great and good things he wants to do with us. We may be confused. We may feel like we lack the resources. We may be perplexed, but we don't give up. We go, oh, yeah, God's still here. Then he says the word persecuted. He says persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecution is an interesting word as well in the language. While following Jesus in a pagan culture like Corinth, it sets us in a broader culture that is anti-Christian. In our Bible study this morning, we were talking about how the world has changed and the things that 30 years ago were like taboo and you never talked about and you never said, now it pops up in kids' movies, you know. I mean, it's weird how things have changed over this time. But these 
things bring this opposition in our life. But there's no reason to say, I've been abandoned. It's going to come. It's going to happen. I, I suspect the idea here is simply this. God plus any one of us makes a majority. You know, at times we are, feel like we're the only ones. We're persecuted. Man, we're, everybody's against me. Everybody's against God. Everybody's against the thing. They all want to do wrong. They want to do bad. Oh, but God's still here and with me. And we're okay. God's still in control. Even as light seems to be elusive and it's dark. And he says, you'll be struck down. Have you ever pulled a, a Ziploc bag of something that you used to know what it was out of the freezer? Did that ever happen? You pull it out and you go, oh, my wife must have put it in there. I didn't do that, you know. Right? And you look at it and go, what is this? And you're, you're going, this is a mess. So you get mad at the Ziploc bag, Right? Well, the bag didn't do its job. The bag messed up. No. And the contents are old. They got, they got, they went bad, right? This is, this is where we are. We, we get frustrated with things because we think, oh, well, it must be the, the, the pot. It's not the contents of the pot. It, it's, it's the pot that, it's, it's not the other way around. It's God who places presence within us. He says, I want to work in you. We're not struck down. We're, we may feel struck down, but we're not destroyed. He's still at work. He's still going. He's still moving. Third, dark seasons may draw us to drive away from him, but we, we respond by getting closer. That's the picture I want you to see in eight and nine. And then in verse 10, God uses darkness to this, to advance the gospel. And you're thinking, I thought we hire preachers and have Sunday school teachers to do that. No, it's our job together. But God will use the hard times, the dark times, the difficult times to advance the gospel. Look at verses 10, 11, 12. Always carrying in the body of the, uh, always carrying the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul then leads the reader to see the darkness they encounter as something God is going to use to advance his, 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 his gospel. Many of us think when things get hard, things get dark, things get difficult, oh, it must, nothing good is going to come out of this. It's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. No. God says, I'm going to take that darkness you're in and use it to advance the kingdom of God. And so instead of seeing darkness as something all-powerful, a better way to view it is, God, you're going to take this difficult season and bring about something that reveals you to those around me. There's something very real about this idea of being filled as clay, clay pots with the presence of God. When the old man's crucified, a new man's able to live. That's why as hardship and trials come, we ultimately reveal who we are. I remember way back in seminary, some of you may have heard this illustration before, but hang in there with me. Uh, there was a guy, we had a class we had to, uh, in, in preaching, we had to do something about creativity and how to be creative. And y'all know I failed that class. But uh, there was one of the guys in my group that came in and he started talking about this idea of clay pots and God's presence in us and all that kind of stuff. And he whips out a toothpaste tube. 
And I'm going, dude, it's a little late to brush your teeth now. But that wasn't his point, obviously. He says, here's the thing. Who are we? And we go, <laughs> set up, you know, oh, I don't know. What do you think? He said, who are we? He says, this tube of toothpaste, what is it? And we go, well, it's a, I mean, we were sharp, a tube of toothpaste. Show with me, okay? We got that, all right? He says, no, no, the tube is immaterial. The tube is a carrier. It's something that holds something that we can use to better our lives. Oh, oh. he says, so what happens when, how do you want, how do you get it out of there though? And this is back in the day before the cool little pumps and all that stuff. You had to do what? You had to squeeze that thing, right? Squeeze too much and it looks like the kid's bathroom after the morning preparation time and it's covered in toothpaste. But use it right, what comes out? Toothpaste. You're going, huh? He says, the reality is what comes out of our lives in the pressure times is what's inside our lives. And that's the visual I want you to catch here from this idea of advancing the gospel. We can please and thank you our way through life even if our insides are ugly. But when things get tough, the real person shows. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that his life can be squeezed out of us day by day. That's a loose paraphrase of that, by the way. But I hope you get the visual. Because it's only in the darkness and only in the trials and only in the hardship do we really see who we are. You want to find out who you are? Don't, don't find out in the good days. You won't find out in the good days. We can all be nice to each other in the good days. Try the hard days. The day after you find out you have cancer. The day after you find out your mother passed away. The day you find out that your spouse passes. Who are you then? Then we begin to understand. And God uses those times to allow us to advance the gospel, to share the truth, and to to extend who we are in those moments. And then he comes on in verse 13 and says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. See, God uses grace, uh, excuse me, darkness also to apportion or to share or to broadcast grace. You go, I don't like darkness. I don't like hardship. I don't like trials. Well, listen, if you like those, we have counselors that can sit down with you and help you work through your issues. Most of us don't like that. But when we go through it, here's what happens. God can say, I'm going to take that and I'm going to show my grace in your life and I'm going to show my life grace through your life and make a difference in the life of others. We're going to undiscover that the ongoing grace of Jesus in our lives is often most revealed in the darkest times. When do you get closer to God? When things are easy or when things are hard? 
Often when things are easy, what do we do? We start just not worrying about it. But when things get hard, we go, man, I better run back to God. I need to get closer. See, darkness drives us to rely on Jesus more and more and self less and less. And remember, Jesus himself paced, uh, excuse me, faced utter darkness of the cross and the grave. Jesus himself went to complete darkness. He himself endured the anger and venom of the dark world around him. So do we. But even as Jesus didn't remain in the darkness but was raised, so we as his followers will also be what? Raised from the darkness. And he'll bring us into his presence. He does not plan to leave you in darkness, but he wants to lead you through darkness to his presence, expanding. And we begin to apportion his grace to others. And then fifth thing he does is this. God uses darkness to anticipate eternity. Now, I'm not saying that eternity is dark. That's, that's not the, the meaning of that statement. Look at verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our, let's use our word again here, our clay pod, our outer self, is wasting away. Any of y'all aging and your body doesn't work as well as it used to? Me? I'm with you, okay? Our outer self is wasting away. Some people think they're invincible. They're usually in their 20s. I'm just telling you, they think they can drink whatever they want, eat whatever they want, it doesn't matter, they're going to live forever. Hmm. Payday someday, brother. Only the guilty are shaking their heads right now. Anyway, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. Though our pot is falling apart, maybe that's where that phrase comes from. We go to pot. What do you think? I never thought about that. Our inner self, who we really are, who we will be for eternity, is being renewed. How often? Every day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they pass. But the things that are unseen are eternal. God also works at filling his light in us so we can be light in the darkness of this whole world. And we can anticipate the sense of what's coming. And in light of the jars of clay illustration, Paul makes the point that our bodies are fading away. We're getting chips. We're getting cracks. We're, we're becoming weak here. And the pot finally springs a leak and we end up broken and thrown out in the back yard. The outer self wastes away. But that's not who we are ultimately, is it? It's who we are in here that really matters. Whatever afflictions we face from the darkness of this world are in comparison to God's eternal glory so much greater. Now, I've got to tell you, when you're in the midst of a deep, dark moment, the loss of a loved one, the loss of, uh, of health, the loss of financial stability, the loss, we think, man, nothing else could be worse than this. But he wants us to see in comparison to whatever we face, his glory is so much better. And so much greater. So we make a choice. We say, God, I'm not going to fix my eyes on the pot. On the Ziploc bag. I'm going to put my eyes on the contents. 
of the one who's in me. Greater is he who is in me than he who's in the world. So what do we do with this? I think it's kind of a little different uh, message this morning, so bear with me. I've got three thoughts that kind of just bubbled up to the surface as I was studying through this passage. Um, And the first one is this. God brings good from bad. You may say, well, he doesn't do it fast enough. Uh, It may not be fast enough for you, but it's fast enough for him. But God is going to bring good from the bad. God is always at work, even in the hard times, even in the ugly times, even the difficult times, even from all the ugly things we have to deal with in life, the bad in life. He's still at work. And while the people at Corinth lived in a morally trying time, y'all with me? We live in a morally trying time. God was not, God is not absent. You believe that? He's still here. He hasn't abandoned us. He hadn't abandoned them. And at times it's tempting to think, well, God, I think you've walked away and left us. You left us in the mess. You left us in this junk. You don't care. But I got to tell you, that's not true. Do y'all remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Not the cool coat, but towards the latter part of his life. Y'all remember what happened to that, that boy? He, he was daddy's favorite. This is what happens when daddy has a favorite. The other brothers get jealous. And what they do to his brother, they send him packing, right? They, and then told daddy he did. He gone. Then things get tough at home. I'm doing a short version of this, but hang in there. Things got tough at home. They got to figure out how to, to buy the groceries to get food. So they go down to Egypt. Lo and behold, who's in Egypt? Joseph is. He's now number two in command. He has now saved up enough food for years and years and years for the people to be covered and taken care of. And they come in there and they move down there and they stay there until dad dies. And they haul him back to homeland and bury him. And now they're back in Egypt and they come to Joseph, their brother, and they're thinking, oh, we messed up now. We're going to get ours. Do you remember what happened in that story? The brothers are at Joseph's feet. They're groveling, thinking everything's bad, everything's awful. God is just going to let us have it through Joseph because we really messed up. Joseph hates us. Everybody else hates us. Let's go eat dirt. Here's what Joseph told them. It's one of my favorite passages from the book of Genesis. He said this, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. We think, oh, there's no way God can bring something good out of this bad. God can bring good out of any bad if we wait. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, it's easy to look at the circumstances and say, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. You remember Joseph got, you know, he was in jail. He got got better, then he got arrested, and then he got in trouble again. And then he, he had a rough life. But God says, I've got something to bring out of this good. And what we have to do is to look where God's at work and say, God, where are you working? Where are you moving? What are you doing? I want to be a part of that. Instead of saying, God, you need to come and bless what I'm doing. Let's get with him. I can guarantee you Joseph never imagined he would spend most of his days in Egypt. And yet that was God's exact plan for his life. Wow. Number two, life is hard. God's better. God's better. 
Life's hard. Y'all haven't figured it out. Life's hard. In this life, we have two pathways to which we can choose to walk. One is centered on us, our thoughts, our desires, even our plans. The other is saying, God, I want to listen to you. I want to find your direction. I want to find your path. And even if it's dark and ugly and difficult and terrible right now, I believe, God, that you're going to carry me through this season to the next part of life. See, one relies on human strength. One relies on God's strength. We all go through dark times, don't we? You may be there right now. You may be in a moment right now where you're going, I don't know how I'm going to get up tomorrow and do the next thing. I don't know why what's happened to me has happened. I don't know why what these things are happening around me are going on. I don't understand, God, why you have left me here. Life is hard. But when those times come, my friends, I would challenge you to remind yourself that God is so much better than any other pathway you could walk. His ways are so much better. Over in Cor- uh, another passage here in Corinth, uh, chapter 12, Paul told the church this. He said, but, but, but he said to me, my grace, but God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your strength. That's what we want to read, don't we? We say, well, I took care of this. I did this. I'm good. He says, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That is so counterintuitive to the, the way we live life in our world today. Today, it's, well, my power, I'm going to strengthen. I'm going to get better. I'm going to be smarter. I'm going to think better. I'm going to do this. And God says, no, how about doing this? How about just saying surrender to me and trust me and walk with me and listen to me and let your weakness draw you to my power? And in that, we lean into the Lord. We say, God, I'm going to trust you. And then finally, out of darkness comes light. Comes light. You know, the night doesn't last forever. I'm sure you, like myself, have had some nights where you think, man, this night's never going to end. It goes on and on. On. And I'm talking about literal nights, and I'm talking about nights of the soul where you have been in a dark season for months, maybe a year or two or three. And you think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? But those inevitably will be replaced by what? By the daylight. The same is true in the spiritual sense. Out of our darkness ultimately comes the lightness of God. Peter phrased it this way. He called us, we are to a higher place, a higher pathway, a better way, a more excellent path. He said this, but you are a chosen race. What? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were nothing, Once you were not a people, but now, dear friend, if you know Jesus, you are what? God's people. You're somebody. Not because of you. Not because you got this pretty pot. You're no Ming vase, okay? You're an old dirty clay pot. But in you, you get to hold the most valuable treasure of all. And be God's people. 
Once you'd not received mercy, but now you've received his mercy. So here's the deal. You're going, okay, you say you're a clay pot. No, I'm, I'm a dirty old clay pot. That's what I am, okay? And that's okay because I hold within me the presence of God. And if you're here today and you've never received his presence, I don't know what's in your clay pot. Don't want to know. You got all kinds of junk and trash just like other people struggle with. But let me tell you something. When God comes into your clay pot, he will change your life and set you free. Maybe you need to trust him today. Maybe you've already done that. You need to make a decision to make it public today. I'm not sure where you are in your life, but I want you to know we want to give you the opportunity to experience his presence. Even if you're in the darkest, darkest moment of your life, he wants to bring light into you. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today to to sing and to worship, to spend a few minutes in your word. And Father, being reminded that it's, it's not what's in our, it's not the pot that we are, but Father, the contents of the pot that matters. And God, you want to bring light into our darkness. You want to set us free from the struggles in which we live. And you want to carry us through those, Father, so you can be lifted up and glorified in us and through us. We pray for those who maybe need to make some type of decision public today. We pray that you'd give them that faith to step out. And Father, we pray you'll bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.